Well, welcome to Thriving in the Word. We're so glad to be back here in person. We have Ben with us, Johnny, Dave, Mike, Jimmy, myself, and we are in Acts still. Um, Acts, I believe chapters, uh, what, 8 through 15, 14 is where we were reading, and we're still, still kind of in that uh, section there. And uh, I believe we're episode 121 now, if my Remember, because I think last week was, or last time was uh, 120, finally. So uh, 121, and we're just going to jump right in. So anybody has anything that stood out to you as you've been reading these chapters uh, over the last, well, we've been reading for a while. Now. I don't even know how long we've been in this section, but yeah. So anyhow, anything stand out to you, jump right in. All right. Well, yeah, I was in uh, the Acts 13 uh, this week. Uh, Barnabas and Saul are commissioned among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch, or at Antioch in Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Paul, Paul's first missionary journey, Barnabas and Saul were uh, sent to the seaport of Seleucia, then sailed for the island of Cyprus. Um, and in looking at this, I noticed that, um, that Barnabas and Saul were going to the island of Cyprus and... Uh, Barnabas was actually from Cyprus, um, if I'm understanding this correctly. You go back to Acts 4.36, and uh, it mentions that Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so it, from the looks of that, he was going home to help out. Um, it also mentioned that he was from the tribe of Levi and... One thing I didn't know or didn't understand, I know Matthew, also Levi. I didn't know if that had anything to do with Matthew. If anybody has any knowledge of that, um, I couldn't really figure that out. Um, but, yeah, no, it really just stood out to me that Barnabas was, you know, going home, um, you know, to Cyprus. Yeah, it's interesting. I never uh, noticed that he was, that that was his hometown. Cause it's kind of disconnected like that, but yeah, yeah, I just checked it. Yeah, he's definitely going home, so he's definitely familiar. And as far as Levi, no connection as far as I know with Matthew, but he would have been of the tribe of Levi, which was the uh, the, the tribe of priests, basically. So these are the one, you know, Leviticus in the Old Testament was kind of their Levitical law was written to govern uh, the people. So the the priests, the Levites, they were the ones who were serving in the temple on a regular basis. They were the ones who were uh, the the priests, and they would you know, carry out all the, the temple maintenance and all the temple work and all the, the uh, sacrifices and, and all those things. So um, he definitely came from a, a kind of a prestigious tribe, you know, if, if you would. So. Yeah, in First Kings 12.31 and in Judges 17.13, all male Levites had the right to be priests, and they were generally regarded as um, more legitimate than non-Levitical priests. So there were priests who were not of the tribe of Levi, but they would have been kind of like secondary too. Right. I just think it's an interesting fact when you bring up the, the yeah. Levites. The other thing that's interesting too is that Levi, my wife, she's in Genesis, praise God, um, and she's asking all these questions, which I'm just like, 
I don't know. I got to pray to the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? I got to do a, a Bible study. I'm in like four of my own already. Um, but she was bringing up, she's like, what am I supposed to take from like Laban and, and Leah and Rachel and all this stuff? And, uh, and I'm like, I don't know. I got to. So like last night I'm flipping through the word, but I thought it was interesting that Levi is the third son of Jacob and Leah, which if you know Leah, Leah was like the, the wife that Laban like swindled to right. Jacob and then made him work another, what was it? Seven years. Yeah. So, but what does that tell you? Who does God use between Esau and Jacob? I'll show mercy on who I'll show mercy on. Right. Who does he take to be the the high the high priest or the priests in this case right. that are you know the primary priest? It's like the third son of Jacob and Leah, the right. the, the 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 swindled wife, if you will. Yeah. You know, so I just find it interesting. And they also brought along an assistant, John Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, now he was Mark in the Bible. The gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Mark. Yep. Son of Mary. Okay, so he was um, so he was writing everything down, basically that they were going through. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, the way I understand it is that the Gospel of Mark is Peter's account, and it was kind of written down by John Mark, um, who was kind of an assistant there. Who he goes on this trip, but later Paul throws him under the bus because he deserts them, whatever that means. Um, and, uh, and he goes his own way. A lot of people speculate that John Mark was, and I believe it's only recorded in the book of Mark, was the guy in the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't a disciple, but was the one who said uh, somebody grabbed his cloak and he ran out of his cloak, basically ran away naked from the Garden of Gethsemane. And out then, of fear. Yeah. yeah, out of fear. And then people also speculate that it was his parents' house that the Last Supper was in, and that that was also the same house that Peter went to after he was broken out of prison and went to the prayer meeting, that that was John Mark's um, house as well. So just kind of some interesting little little ties in there with him. So so he was probably like a kid when all the Jesus stuff happened. So he was probably like really young, you know, wasn't really up to being a disciple, but now he's older, maybe a teenager now, and now so he's going on these trips with... Uh, with Saul and uh, Barnabas, but and Mark was also Barnabas's cousin. If you go to Colossians four ten, man, look at you pulling in all these wow. verses, dude. Okay, great. We've created a monster. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Colossians what four ten? Four ten. Yeah, Barnabas's cousin. Yeah, you're right. Spot on, dude. You know, I've been reading the Bible pretty consistently, so with this fast, instead of just reading the Bible, I told myself, you know, you know take notes you know johnny's god johnny's been telling you to take notes for like a year so (laughs) (laughs) well well, here's the thing right it's like it's actually god telling me that's exactly what it is i was gonna say it's it's your relationship to jesus through the holy spirit being connected to god the father because god brings the increase in someone's faith and it's like you you'd be surprised what a a person holy W-H-O-L, right? <laughs> Holy and totally consecrated to the Lord Jesus, what God can do with a, with a person like that. Well, that's all I got for notes, so you guys could take it from here. Hey, that's great. great that's opening. great. Yeah, great opening. So Glad to have you aboard, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Mike was reading the Bible. I was reading this. <laughs> Worst case scenario survival. Yeah. Anybody seen this book before? Oh, I, I, we play the game as family a lot. So, so I, I brought it, and there's a reason for it. And, of course, you know I'm going to relate it to what we're reading here, but... Um, how to escape from a sinking car, how to escape from a bear, how to jump from a building into a dumpster, you know, just some of these things here. 
And so the, this book, you know, and I, and I keep this, you know, around the house every now and then. I pick it up right here. This is bizarre. I go, oh, yeah, I need to know how to do this. All, all things that, you know, hopefully you never, how to escape quicksand, you know, things that you would never be in. And I started thinking about it because I, I was reading, um, I was reading over all these chapters again and say, okay, what, what can I mine here that we haven't touched on? And so this is, this book about, um, what is it called? The worst case scenario, survival, how to survive. Really what it's talking about is, ourselves doing that how, how do we save ourselves how do we survive how do we rescue ourselves and 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 i i think that's the wrong idea we we wait and lenny and i have talked about this a lot i always think of him because we talk about how when we get into a troublesome situation it's only after we do and you guys may remember this that that's when we we ask for god's help a lot of times now some of you may you know have learned not to do that to to, to approach god before we get in that but let's think of some of the things where what the Bible does, as opposed to the survival handbook, putting the emphasis on us, the Bible, now tying it in here, puts the, it puts the emphasis on God rescuing us rather than we relying on our own strength to rescue ourselves. So let's take some examples. So I wrote down, just so I didn't forget them here, uh, the Israelites, their, their flight from Egypt. They're faced with the ocean, the water. Behind them is the Egyptian army. And what happens? God opens up the water. It's God. Uh, Daniel gets thrown at night into the lion's den. God turns the lions into uh, the, you know, gives the lions a personality of kittens, maybe. All right? And now, that's related to Acts. The third one is chapter 12, 1 through 19, or 1 through 18. I think it's 1 through 19. Paul's, they call it miraculous escape from prison, I don't know that it's a miracle, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to you know, refute any of you guys if you think it's a miracle. I think it just Peter. It happened. Peter. Uh, Peter, I apologize. I'm sorry. Yeah, Peter. His escape from prison is another one of these things where we're relying, where Peter relied on God. He didn't, even, he didn't try to do anything himself. This was God intervening somehow. You know, was it a miracle? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I read this over and over, and I'm thinking, here... We have this story, and for those who don't know it, and we all know because we're reading it, but if anybody's listening, uh, uh, King Herod Agrippa has uh, killed, killed James, the, the brother of John, and now he's, he saw how, how uh, the Jews were excited about that. They were really happy. So he arrests, I'm summarizing, he arrests Peter, puts him in prison. Because it's the Passover and then the, uh, the uh, feast after that, which is, I think, seven days, they... Um, the unleavened bread feast. They, they, Herod decides to wait until he's going to, you know, probably kill Peter too. So Peter's really under a death sentence. Uh, and and what happens here is, is it, it seems miraculous. He he ends up getting out of prison. His shackles are off of him. He thinks he's dreaming. He actually, he actually he can't, can't tell if it's a vision. Yeah, he can't tell if it's a vision or not. He, you know, he just gets, somebody's there to, is this white light, you know, which is always indicates a heavenly presence. And, and so it, it says in, in verse eight, the angel tells him, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. And he still thinks he's dreaming. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting story. And this book on uh, survival here, uh, those are dead ends that we, you know, I don't think we'd face in our life. But what about true life, dead, you know, dead ends potentially? Like maybe we're in a failing marriage. Maybe we've just received a layoff notice. Maybe uh, we just went to the doctor and the doctor says there's a lump. Uh, th those are situations where now instead of trying to rescue ourselves, why not 
seek the help of God? Why not turn it over to God? Why not let God rescue us as he did the, the, the Israelites from Egypt, as he did Daniel from the lion's den? Let him help us to exit these dead ends. But do we do that all the time? And, and Peter just let him do that. And, I, and again, one other thing in here, if you look at verse 5, it says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So with the power of prayer, we have to realize this, and Judah has preached this over and over again. With the power of prayer, as Christians, we're not helpless. Right. We have that power of prayer. Again, in verse 12, again, still in chapter 12, but verse 12 when, 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 when Peter realizes he went to the, home, uh, to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Again, it's always about prayer. So we have this powerful tool uh, as Christians, so we're never totally helpless. And I, I don't know, it's just uh, this, this book, because I read this a lot, I just pick it up, you know, when I've got some free time, and I go, okay, you know, is, that's not real to me because those things, you know, would never happen. You know, am I going to you know, jump from a building into a dumpster? I don't think so. Not anytime soon. But some of these other real life situations that I mentioned, any or all of us have all been involved in. Maybe it's a, a business situation that we're in that, you know, is a dead end. And, you know, we need to we need to talk to God about it. Right. Uh, uh, like I said, a lot of these things. And, and, and do we rely on that? Peter did. Peter was in prison, and, and he gets out, and you can, you can realize that he, he gets out, and he, when he came to his sentences, he goes, it's really true. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do with me, which was probably to kill him. So I, I, I guess for me, the point of all this is to, you know, for anybody listening and anybody that, that needs help is to turn to God first. We have prayers as a tool, a powerful tool, and, and we have God as, as the most powerful being in the universe and to turn to when we are uh, in one of these dead ends, one of these situations. Yeah, and to, to springboard off that, when you started talking, you said Paul in prison. So I got excited because I thought we were in 16 for a minute. <laughs> you corrected and, me, though. But, but hold on, and I'm, and, I'm and I'm glad he did because you brought up a point that you don't believe that it was miraculous. And what I would do is I would contend for the faith with you on this one. Because if you do go to Acts 16, which I know we're not in yet, but bear with yeah. me, guys. Go ahead. In verse 25, it says this. This is about Paul and Silas being imprisoned, and I think it's Iconium is how you say it. Yep. Now, about midnight, Paul and si Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were uh, listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and the bonds were unfastened. And it says that the jailer was like, Oy vey, what am I going to do? And he's about to commit suicide. And then who shouts to him but Paul and says, it's okay, we're still in our cells. Don't do it. Don't do it. Which to me, that's like a word of knowledge like that the Lord blessed him with, right? Now I could be wrong. I'm just some guy. Who knows? But I do want to bring this up. To me, that sounds pretty gosh darn miraculous, right? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, why wouldn't he do it with Peter? And then you did mention prayer. He said, we have prayer. And you're talking about, you know, the the Nueva Beach crossing of the Red Sea and um, Moses and the Israelites and, and Daniel and the lions and having the lions mouth shut and all these miracles and call on the name of the Lord because he is our great deliverer, right? And it's, we have more than prayer. We can sing praises and give thanks just like the walls of Jericho fell because of the musicians and the obedience to God. They're actually doing what he tells you to do. Pray without ceasing, share in each other's burdens, rejoice again, I say it, rejoice. And what are they doing at midnight? Talk about night owls, right? Here they are at midnight in jail. 
in a foreign land, and they're praising God, and they're singing these classic, I don't know if you want to call them first century Jewish hymns or whatever they would be, but just worshiping God. And God's like, booyah. Yeah. Insane, right? So whether it's miraculous deliverance with Egypt and Moses and the Israelites at the hand of God, or you see it here in the book of Acts, which lest we forget how this book starts, it starts with Luke talking to Theophilus about picking up where I left off, the sequel to the gospel according to Luke, Jesus ascending on the cloud, leading all the way up to this day of Pentecost, right? This is just a quick summation to Stephen being stoned to death with this same Paul holding the coats of the men, stoning him and agreeing with his murder. And that was the day that the great persecution began. And we're living in that right now as we're in Acts, you know, eight through 16, right? We're, we're witnessing this great persecution as these people are preaching boldly and praying boldly and singing hymns boldly in the middle of the night in jail. It's, it's, it's incredible. So I definitely think it's miraculous. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to take the time here to uh, dispute you or to say why I think maybe it wasn't a miracle. All, all I wanted to get out of this, and I want to repeat it for the, all of you here, as well as anybody that listens in on us, is that we, we can look at it and say, what common real-life dead ends that we all face? And we all do that. And then are, are we seeking in trusting in God to help us to get out of those. That's basically it. Miracle or not. Are, are we doing that? If not, what steps can we take to do that? To actually learn to trust God to get us out of these real life dead ends that we all face, or I call them dead ends or, or tough situations, whatever you want to call it. That's what I wanted to get out of this. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I, I, I want to hit on, hit on two things within that in the, the first um, being the prayer side of things. I just was talking with somebody this past week. I was asking them about a situation that they were in and they said, well, all I've done is pray about it. And again, like whenever somebody says that, like it, it, it always just like something like rises up in me. I'm like, what do you mean all you did was pray about it? It's like, you mean you did the most powerful thing that any of us as a follower of Christ could do? Like, you mean, you, yeah, you, you mean you went to the God who created the entire universe with the word out of his, out of his mouth. You mean that's all you did was just went to him and asked for help. Like, that's it. That's it. You, you know, you didn't fix this on your own. And, and so we were kind of like laughing about it, but, um, but it's like, we, we so often relegate prayer as like this, like, well, you know, I don't know, like, that's all I could do. It's like, yes, like, that's the most important thing. That's, that's our First response, it should be always in that. Um, secondarily, with the whole you know miracle versus unmiracle thing, it's like, is is everything a miracle or nothing a miracle, right? I mean, the fact that any of us are sitting here alive right now, honestly, is a miracle, because you think about it, like none of us are keeping ourselves alive right now, like it's involuntary. Like just the fact that we're even here right now, just the fact that we didn't get in a car accident because somebody who had a hangover from last night narrowly missed us by three seconds as we went by and we didn't even see him in the rearview mirror. Like, I mean, like we, we are like living in the miraculous or nothing is. So it's like, it's like you kind of got two sides to the same coin with, with all of these things. And it's like, um, I, I think that within all of this, we, we go into life with, with wonder. And I mean, it's like we even look at some of these uh, Old Testament things, and there's people that will even try to dispute um, uh, any number of uh, miraculous things. And I'm like, well, even if the situation is not miraculous by 
nature, the timing was. And, and it's like, you know, because like with the whole Red Sea parting, there's people that come up with these theories of wind blowing through and the way that there's this, you know, this, this uh, sandbar. Uh, yeah, sandbar and the wind and it separates it and they go, I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe so. But the miraculous thing was, is it happened right when they were there and they needed to cross it. So, it, you know, it's, I think there's always like physical explanations for the miraculous um, in a lot of things, but none of it discounts it. It's like everything's a miracle, you know? Well, so. like the, the, the story about the, the, the lady that would uh, pray every night, Lord, please fill my pantry, please fill my pantry. And then she shows up one day and all the food there and her neighbor who's an atheist says, ha ha, I went and bought all those groceries for you to prove there's no God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what the lady said? says, wow, this is a miracle. She's like, no, it's not. I did. She says, yeah, but God provided them and made the devil pay for them. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> but, uh, but again, you know, not, not to change gears a little bit, but, uh, but back to what we were talking about before with John Mark, it did say that when he went in verse 12, when they realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So again, so that we see that John Mark tie-in. Yeah, that's a special place. They that they consider that to be one of the first places of worship. Yeah. And and I love that when Judah talks about that, where it isn't about the temple necessarily, it's about the temple, the body, Jesus' body, and, and that's where they were. So many important things happened in that house. Like, Lord, can you please bring Peter back to us? Oh, hey, Peter, can you please bring him back to us? <laughs> Not now, Peter, we're busy praying. <laughs> I, I, I love this because, I mean, if we just continue on here, right? She recognized Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside. So she's like, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. Peter's standing at the door. And what, what's their first response? No, it's not. You're out of your mind, they said. <laughs> it must be his angel. It's like, it's like you're out of your and, and how often are we the same way? Where we're praying and asking God for something, but not even expecting him to do it. Because clearly they're praying for Peter's release but they were not expecting Disbelief. it to happen. Right? Yeah. That bullshit. section is actually offers a little bit of comedic relief there. It's, 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 I'm reading, I'm going, <laughs> this reminds me of like one of these uh, you know, movies, uh, comedy things, you know, when you're knocking on a door and Peter's going, it's me. And, 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 and just a, a note, it must be his angel when they said that. In, uh, in these times, ancient times, Everybody was thought to have a guardian angel that was your doppelganger that that looked exactly like you. So that's what you know, they were referring to here. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, they're they're not even believing it, and then he's fine. But it, 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 I just think like you talk about like the, the comedy. What I what I would change is have the person who answers the door doesn't know who he is and just lets him in, and he walks in and he hears them praying for his release, yeah. and then they open up his eye, they open their eyes after praying, and he's right there in the room with yeah. them. Well, if you look at if you look at this and you take Rhoda, you know, a servant girl, a slave, if you will, and here's her chance for glory, and and, and instead, you know, she yeah. she slams the door and runs back in time it's like okay and he's and he's still i mean i'm trying to picture and he's just you know it could happen in real life here and he, you're still standing at the door wait wait a minute i'm here you know somebody could just come home from you know years of military service overseas and you slam the door hey sir he's here but you slam the door in his face and you know or her face and open it i mean i thought it was funny i, I watched a lot of these videos where the the guy, somebody comes back from being overseas military yeah. and they surprise their family right and there was one like the, the the girl gets off the school bus and she's just checking her phone and all of a sudden she's just like she walks right past her dad yeah. and he goes like honey and she's like she turns like oh my god <laughs> well and, and you see here with uh again with john mark again it's like the experiences that he's had 
probably as a youngster that have led up to him going uh, accompanying these missionary trips it's like again possibly being in the garden uh possibly being uh in the upper room during pentecost possibly you know being or at least around at the last supper all these things being there and this i mean it's like his mind must have just been like blown just seeing all this miraculous stuff you know and then and then now saul is and barnabas are like hey let's go and he's like man like this is just su such a potential but but i mean he's like he knows all the who's who right because i mean he knows paul he knows barnabas he's buddies with peter all and these like, outlaws yeah yeah exactly it's like here he is like thrust in the middle of it i mean he must have you know had this you know this uh first class ticket to you know see the whole launch of the early church you know it's just a pretty pretty amazing opportunity he had my big takeaway from being an axe for so long is a couple of things jesus's followers the way they did a ton of praying they did a ton of praying they're they're downtrodden they're arrested they're beaten they're mocked they're ridiculed they have the romans against them they have the sanhedrin against them right they even have just like the regular Greek philosophers, if you will, against them, plus all the pagan uh, religious, you know, I don't want to call them cults, but, you know, the pagan religious leaders of, you know, the Greco-Roman pantheon or whatever, right? So by all accounts, the whole world is against these people, and they're the only ones carrying the light of Christ and the truth, trying in the darkness, as it were, to give these people this divine revelation and heal them and show uh, humility and justice and mercy and all these things and, and preach the word of Jesus and preach the word of God. But the other takeaway, besides them doing a ton of praying and preaching boldly, which is what we all should be doing, mm -hmm. Brother Michael brought this up in Acts 13 as he read the intro to it. And while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, when was the last time, if you're even listening to this, right? If you're an active follower of the way or seeking the truth. When was the last time you heard the Holy Spirit say something to you? And whichever way the Lord chooses to speak to you via that Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that came into the world to convict you of your sins, points you to the truth of Christ Jesus for your own salvation and points you to all other truths and brings things into remembrance. When was the last time you were close with the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside you and seals you for the day of redemption? Because the Holy Spirit does still speak. He still speaks, but are you listening? That's the key. Are you paying attention? Are you walking with the Lord? I, I, you made me think of this again. This again, when I get into one of these chapters like this, twelve here, and I, I try to dig deep in it and get you know some value out of it for myself, and that I could relate. And I'm just thinking of Peter. Did I get that right, Peter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Verse 6, chapter 12. Listen to this. I, I don't know. I skipped over it before, you know, a couple times. Then when I read it this past week, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. And then it goes on. Now, he, before he was to be placed on trial, like I said before, his death was imminent. That's what he must, he must have known he was going to die because... Agrippa, Herod Agrippa was going to kill him. He was going to do that to please the Jews. Yeah, and James had just been killed. Yeah, which it, was brutal. James, right, James had just been killed. But, but listen now, put yourself in that position. You are 
in chains in a prison, knowing that in seven days when the Feast of Unleavened Bread is over, you're going to be going on trial, and Herod's trial was a farce. You're just going to be killed. Think of that. But look at this. He was asleep. Peter was so at peace with himself. And Johnny made me think of all of this as you're saying, you know, about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, do we have this? Do we have this kind of peacefulness with God, with the Holy Spirit, that we could be asleep in chains with guards attached to us? We're asleep knowing that we're, we're, we're going to die. We're going to be killed, executed shortly. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think that's so powerful uh, that Peter is is so calm that he could sleep and he's glorifying God by doing that. Just, you know, putting his complete trust, as I said about this, putting his complete trust in God. Is Peter in a dead end? I would say he's in a dead end to go back to the survival book. I mean, they should have a chapter, you know, how does Peter get to escape out of uh, imminent death or assure, almost assuredly death? How does he do that? Peace, worship. Peace While he sleeps. And, and, and glorification of God and putting your trust in God. But again, think about what I said at the start of this. Put yourselves in that position. Think about that. Could you, and I, I mean myself too, because I don't know that I could do that. I don't know if I have that. Do I talk to the Holy Spirit, John? Do, am, I, am I with God that close that I could just lay down? Yeah, I'm going to die in seven days and I don't care. You know, I trust in God and I want to be with God. In life or death, I'm going to glorify God. Could you do that? It reminds me of Jesus asleep in the boat. Yes. With that wonderful painting that I love, which is, is the, it's the storm on the yeah. sea. It's the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and, and they're all freaking out, right? They're all like, the the waves are crashing, the boat is rocking, it's taken on water, and they rush down, and he's asleep in the boat, and that's what, exactly when you brought that up. It immediately came to my heart. But what you're bringing up is so powerful. Jesus says this. He says, "I'm the true vine, and you're the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, then you'll bear fruit." Every branch that does not bear fruit, my father cuts off and casts into the fire. For he is the vine dresser. It is the will of the father that you bear much fruit for him. And it goes on to say that if you're already bearing fruit, then he will prune you to make more fruit, which is another illustration is the refiner's fire. And I like to think of sanctification like that. But in Galatians 5, 2 through 26, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So what did he have? The fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the very sap that comes from having a personal relationship with Jesus where you fully trust in him and call on his name and believe you're saved by his gracious gift, eternal life, through your faith. So you want to talk about what faith looks like. It looks like you're in a prison cell, like you said, a, a kangaroo court, you're gonna die. Jesus himself talks about how you're gonna die to you before he goes, right? And so he's just... It's been a long day, Lord. Say my prayers before I go to bed. And just yeah. falls asleep sweetly between, in shackles between yeah. two. John, I like that. Yeah. You said, you gave me the picture of him there, but you said, this is what faith looks like. So if we wanted a definition of faith, and there's many, but I could picture Peter, as you just said, in the prison cell, like that is faith. That's the picture of faith. You're exactly right. It also makes me think of, you know, God not showing favoritism. And it makes me think of somebody sitting in prison. They're, they're due to die the, the next day, 24 hours. They've never prayed in their life. Or maybe they have prayed, but they're not sure who they're praying to. And God says, okay, well, this person, maybe, maybe they briefly said, you know what? I need some help. I'm in, I'm in a bind. I'm, my back's up against the wall. What do I do? And God, somebody's 
dedicated their lives to Jesus, and all of a sudden this person just turns that one second. And I heard you speaking about it, Judah, from a sermon in 2016. Hezekiah? Is mm. it? Hezekiah, Hezekiah. Yeah. And he, he was, God gave him a death sentence. Right. He said, you're dying. And he was like, I mean, we all want to hear from God, but he heard he was going to die. <laughs> right. Nobody wants to hear that. And then he prayed and said, you know what? Uh, and he turned and he, and he turned and faced God and God forgave him and, and healed him. But back to the prison sentence, and I, you know, you mentioned miraculous signs earlier, and you know the supernatural can take human form, and it could be a stranger that you never know. And I had a, I, my back was against the wall, and and it's a too long of a story to tell. But I, I begged this person not to say something to somebody else because it was going to ruin my life. And that person said it to that other person, and it changed my life. And I look back at that person, and I'm like, that that was that moment where I needed my back was up against the wall, and I needed supernatural power, and that. God provided that person in that moment, but it's hindsight now. Like I had to get in the word to understand that that was supernatural. Yeah. It's like, you don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. And so the Holy Spirit has like blessed your God has, has bestowed it upon you. But as you mentioned that being in prison and maybe you don't know God, you don't even know who you're praying to. It's the testimony of Dr. David Wood, a great apologist, uh, theologian, philosopher, same thing. It's like, you know, he, I think he like smashed his father's head in with a hammer. Cause he was a, like literally a psychopath. He's diagnosed you know, as uh, schizophrenic, sociopathic tendencies and all this stuff. And there's no cure for that if you know that it's a behavioral disorder. And so he ends up going to jail, meeting a Christian, tries to disprove Christianity. He tries to outfast him and he ends up going to solitary confinement because they think because of his mental health history, he's trying to kill himself very slowly by starving himself. So they put him in solitary confinement. They allow him to continue his Christian courses to study the Bible, which he's getting like all A pluses on so that he can disprove to his cellmate, Randy, how Jesus is a fool and the Bible is fake and you're just an idiot. And then he just said, he finally gives up. These Bible verses are brought to his heart and mind. And he just says to God, he says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to believe in you tomorrow, but I believe in you right now. If there's anything you could do with a person like me in my life, have at it and change the course, the trajectory of his life forever. Released from prison, serves in ministry, disciples people. I mean, that's the power of our God. That's the power of Christ Jesus, the name above every other name, you know? It's amazing what God can do when we give him what we have with our life. I mean, all these people there, I mean, it's like it was a ragtag group of people. And, I mean, you got Saul who was going around persecuting people and Barnabas and Peter and, like, all of these people. And God used them in such a miraculous way to accomplish uh, his work If and we can never underestimate what God can do with us when we give him all that we have, when we offer ourselves to him. Um, and he can just do some some amazing things. And it's that partnership between us and God. You know, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, working in us and through us. So, yeah, that's good. Um, you know, it just kind of changes gears a little bit. kind of goes back to where we started. But I always find this interesting because, you know, uh, Words and names and uh, precision, I think, with Scripture always is important to me. Um, and I've heard so many pastors and Christians and whatever talk about God changing Saul's name to Paul. And it annoys me so much, like, that they say that, like... Like, have you ever opened your Bible at all? Like, I mean, we say these things, but I've heard it from like pulpits and pastors and like, oh yeah, and God changed, you know, 
uh, transformation and it made Saul to Paul. And all, I mean, we've probably all heard stuff like that before, but just for the sake of accuracy, that never happened. <laughs> God never changed. He changed Peter's name from, you know, he called him Peter. You know, he was Levi, Simon uh, Levi. Uh, he called him Peter. There was other people, you know, obviously uh, Jacob, Israel. There was a lot of people's names who were changed, but not Saul's, um, which we see here in Acts 13, which Mike started us out with. We see he's being referred to as Saul. The Who is called Paul. <laughs> yeah, but, but but I'm going to point out, yeah, I'm going to point out when that happens. They're going on their, their mission strip, right? It says, we'll start in verse 4 of 13. So Barnabas and Saul, right? Clearly, Barnabas. Um, I don't know entirely the significance, but generally speaking, like if you if you refer to a husband and wife, I feel like generally we refer to them um, in the order of the people that we know best first. So the more prominent one, perhaps in our mind, it's like it's, oh, it's, you know, this person and this person, you know, it's Judah and Carrie. Maybe if people know me better, but it's Carrie and Judah, if people know her better. So it's like you you kind of like list them in order of prominence, right? So we have here Barnabas and Saul listed, I believe, in order of prominence. We're sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down by the seaport. Mike already pointed out a lot of this stuff. Then the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues. They preached the word. John Mark was with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled um, to Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited who? Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elmius, the sorcerer, is as his name means a Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul, again, said. I mean, this, this, it's it's consistent here. It's consistent. It's Barnabas and Saul. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, here's first mention, also known as Paul, right? So what's the, what's the distinction? Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his, his uh, Roman name, right? Because we know that Paul was a Roman citizen. Saul, he would have been Saul because he's probably likely named after King Saul, you know, or something like that. I mean, this is a very Jewish name. Paul was not a Jewish name, but he had dual citizenship. So he could kind of like morph between the two. Saul, now also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, Enemy that it's all as good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? I mean, he's just like really laying into this guy. Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you'll be struck blind. You'll not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes. Also interesting, too, just a little side note just popped in my head that the very thing that Paul was kind of cured of was the thing that he's kind of like throwing at this guy, right? His darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and his companions then left for Pamphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing the port of Perga. Then John Mark left them. He deserted them at this point in time. What's verse 14 say? But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch and Pisidia. That's the transition right there, right? So it's like we see Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Then he has his interaction with the sorcerer. Something rises up in Saul. Guess what it was? It tells us the Holy Spirit. He rebukes this guy, gets struck with blindness. Now it's like, okay, gears have changed now. Sorry, Barnabas, but now we're calling you 
Paul and Barnabas, and that's what we see all throughout the rest of Scripture. So is it majorly important? Probably not, but it's just like a little thing. It's a distinction of clarity that I think is kind of interesting, at least. <laughs> mine reads mine reads like this in verse 6. And when they had crossed over the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain man, a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, and you know, it goes on. But it's funny because in verse 9... It says, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, you who are full of deceit and all unscrupulousness, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And behold, the hand of the Lord is against you. And I thought it was interesting that it's like in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it talks about that. Like the word, the original word uh, for sin in the Old Testament in the, the Hebrew, the earliest Hebrew is like avon or avo. And it literally means crookedness. There's passages of the Old Testament in Hebrew that talk about the person's back was was with sin, was crooked in their labors, right? And so that's what you see Saul doing is he's calling this person, this false prophet, which were warned about by Jesus back in Matthew 7, right? By their fruits, you'll know them. Here's a person who is of the tribe of Judah. They're Jewish by account of this Acts 13, who is literally playing around with magic or sorcery or whatever else, right? Who is evil in the sight of the Holy Spirit, in the sight of God, is making the straight path. So if you're a false prophet, you're speaking on behalf of who? God. And he's leading people astray with his crookedness. Right. And that's what he was trying to do with this governor. Yeah. And if it wasn't for God saving that governor via Barnabas and Paul, right, if you will, that, that man would have never been saved. So how powerful is it that miraculously God, through the Holy Spirit, chose to give that governor ears to hear and eyes to see by witness of something miraculous. Yeah. And at the same time, administering justice. So cool. Well, let, let's uh, let's pull the plug here, unless if anybody has any last final, final comments. Um, but uh, I think this is probably a good place to... To unplug, we'll we'll continue on. Hey, I think we're in the home stretch now, so uh, you know maybe maybe another another five, six, seven, eight weeks <laughs> <You know? laughs> before we can move on to the next section here. But um, but yeah, so let, let's let's uh, unplug for now. We'll come back next week and continue on the discussion. But I mean, again, we we're getting into uh, finishing up thirteen, fourteen, and we'll see where that goes and. Uh, see where our discussions lead us. So thank you, anyone who's still here listening. <laughs> we, we appreciate you uh, tuning in. So we'll be back next week.